that happens if something comes up that is deemed to be truthful and it disagrees with your point of view, your perspective, and it disappoints you, yeah, that would be kind of inconvenient. But you know what? The older I get, I'm 68, going to be 69 in a couple of months. Oh my gosh. The older I get, the more I'm okay with uh, confronting inconvenient things to try to find out the facts. That's a novel idea. Uh, it's been pretty pretty important for us to figure out a way to live in that world and just demand facts, dig for them when they're not available, and find them and present them to other people. I don't think in our world you could ever look at a time, at least in my 68 years, when it's been more important for us to face the truth and to make decisions based on the truth. And of course, the big thing about all of the things happening right now is it's always the politicization of anything anybody can pick up off the street, doesn't matter how dirty it is, and use it against a political opponent some way. And truth? Uh, You know, that's not that important in politics anyway, is it? And I mean, the more we watch, the more we listen, the more we look in, we see they must, they being the politicians, must in large part, not all, but in large part, they must believe that we Americans out here in the netherworld don't understand, don't know what they're doing, don't know why they're doing it, and don't know what it, what's going on. They really think that. And they look at the things that are okay with them and expect them to be okay with all of us. They don't understand. They still don't understand the likes of leadership in both parties, in both houses of government, also in the White House, in the judiciary system. They do not understand that we, the people, are the bosses of everybody who is elected and everybody that is hired by one of those elected people. They all work. For us, we're the ones that write their paychecks every week. And until a majority of those in Washington, D.C. get that fact, we're going to continue to spiral towards oblivion as a nation. And I mean, we could sit here right now and never leave this topic for two hours. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. But my point is, anything you see Anything that makes you go, hmm, anything you question, anything you doubt, you can bet your bippy that somebody that is thinking opposite of you politically will find a way to pick that up off the street, whatever it is, and bang you over and over again on the head, just trying to make you think you're too stupid to understand. We just must put away all of our reasoning capability. And just listen to them. Do what they tell us to do. And don't you dare 
ever ask a question. We could stack up a whole pile of issues that are each and every one important. And we could find very easily just going, A, what's the left side of this? What's the right side of this? B, what's the right side of this? What's the left side of this? And we could just turn them in to a uh, one of those old ledger sheets, you know, the big yellow pads, and you draw a line right down in the middle. And on one side, you'd put a list of the good things. And on the other side, a list of the bad things. We could do the same things with every one of our political issues. And if we ever did that, we'd be a little more objective when we look at, in writing, the facts about all of these things. It'd be a little easier. We'd get away from the emotional side and just look at reading something you get a different perspective than when you just listen to somebody say something. You know what I'm talking about. It's easier when you have time to absorb it. It gives you a few extra seconds and minutes to digest it and make some realistic choices and decisions on your own based on, hey, here's a common idea, based on facts. That's what we do here every day. That's what we publish our stories for every day. The story that's live this morning on truthnewsnet.org, we um, we released it, actually, normally our, our stories go live at 1.45 a.m. Central Time, but we released this one late yesterday evening because I thought it was more important that we get right to it. People that were looking in last night, a lot of people can't participate during the day because of work, other obligations, I get that, so they'll come every evening. Uh, We had 280 subscriptions overnight last night. That's from people that come home from work. They've taken care of the kids in the home all day long, and they need a few minutes to find some reason. (laughs) And so they, they go somewhere to a safe place where they can find what they define as reason. And they read, and they listen. And people are, they are enrolling, subscribing, on the front page of truthnewsnet.org. And subscription here, all it means, we don't sell anything. Nothing costs you anything here. But what it does, anytime a story goes live, you'll get an email. Within that email will be a direct link to the new story that just went live. So obviously a lot of people were looking in 9 o'clock Central Time last night. The story had just been posted live. And we had a bunch of subscriptions last night. People like to be kept in the know. They like to go places, sources, where they're not being screamed at, not being yelled at, and not being eviscerated for not benignly believing everything that anybody on either side of the political aisle tells you is fact. That gummit just let us hear the facts. Don't couch the facts, just give us the facts and trust us to have the wherewithal to examine the facts for ourselves, go ask some questions, get some explanations for what's going on in those instances, those facts, and then trust us to make the choices on our own. We're not going to agree with everybody in Congress. We're not going to agree with anybody or everybody in the administration. It's just not going to happen, but that's okay. 
That is all right. We don't want single-minded everything in the United States of America. If that was the case, like many want it to be today, we wouldn't have a constitutional representative republic. We would just simply be um, Russia, Western Russia, or Eastern Russia. I guess we could be Eastern because Alaska almost butts up against Northeast Russia, right? Anyway, we could be Russia light or Russia junior, totalitarianism. Americans aren't accustomed to that. Americans have seen it fail over and over and over again. And any version of socialism has never worked anywhere on the planet. There are some places that are functioning today that have versions of socialism, and there are places that are functioning today that have examples of totalitarianism. Neither one of those concepts ever last in world history. They all implode because those principles are unsustainable with what? Facts. Couch it any way you want to. You live. If you're looking in, listening in, from the continental United States, you live in the best place on the planet to live with more opportunities than any other place, period. As bad as it is right now, and we've been far better than we are today, But even as bad as it is today, you still live in the best country on the earth. So let's get rocking and rolling. we got a lot of things to do here today, a lot of bananas to peel. Two weeks ago, can you believe it's been that long? Two weeks ago, it was leaked that our Supreme Court would likely this Monday, and that was yesterday, and it did not happen yesterday. The thought was, And what was leaked again last Friday was that it's likely that yesterday the Supreme Court was going to go ahead and public publicize their final determination of the status of Roe versus Wade. When the possibility was released, many people thought it was because of the incessant and vitriolic uproar, politicizing, protesting by the left. Well, when this story went live, it was late. On Monday, no report had been released. This could be for the case of optics. If an early decision was published, it would appear to be because of the political uproar over the case and not because of anything else. The court would love to take politics out of this term, and this Roe v. Wade case makes that virtually impossible. So I'm asking you now, what is next? What's next? The next big battle over abortions politics is headed for your own backyard. Listen to this. We need to understand this. And you don't get this if you just watch the national news. With the U.S. Supreme Court on the brink of overturning one of its most consequential decisions in modern history, the fight to ban and restrict abortion is going to move to 50 different state Supreme Courts that are scattered across the country. If they go postal at the Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade and just obliterate it, it does not outlaw abortion. Quite the opposite. It pushes the legal decisions on abortion back to the states. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, constitutionally, a lot of you forget about this one thing that is pretty obvious about the United States of America. It is to be government of the people, government for the people, and government by the people. The people's houses are each of the state legislatures. And that's the places where, regarding every other constitutional issue, things are decided about legislation. That's where it needs to go. Wait a minute. Americans have been told the Supreme Court is forbidding abortion of any kind across the nation. Mainstream media, Democrat pundits from every level of government have been spewing the same venom since the leak a couple of weeks ago. Is that not the case? It is not the case. Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided in 1972, taking the decision of the legality away from the states and putting it into the hands of the federal government unconstitutionally. If the court does rule that way, their ruling will simply put the legality of abortion back into the courts in each of the 50 states because 50 state legislatures are going to pass Many already have legislation regarding the legality of Roe v. Wade in their states. So it'll go to the state legislatures. If it hasn't already, they'll craft laws. They may change existing abortion laws. And it's going to end up in the state court systems, ultimately in the state Supreme Courts. Hmm. A people's elected official should be the ones to determine this kind of stuff. That is in state legislature. Certainly those state laws will almost certainly find their way into the state courts. And the state judges then will be responsible for abortion legality decided state by state, especially state Supreme Court judges after the first round of rulings and appeals. The state judges, who by the way don't get lifetime appointments like U.S. Supreme Court justices, except in Rhode Island, these judges are set to be the ones deciding whether to uphold or overturn slews of state-specific abortion bans and restrictions. And a quarter of these justices' jobs, listen, you probably don't know this, those jobs are on the line this November. In all, 86 state Supreme Court seats out of 344 total in the nation are on the ballot in November. Elections for state Supreme Court justices may now be the most direct avenue for voters to shape abortion policy for a generation. We very well may be at an inflection point for state Supreme Courts. That's Douglas Keith, counsel at the Brennan Center, who studied state courts. You will see increased attention and potentially a new dynamic around state judicial elections as a result of the U.S. Supreme Court pushing that issue to the states. The Supreme Court kicking abortion policy entirely into the laps of largely unknown state Supreme Justices will accelerate the already skyrocketing amounts of outside spending, negative advertising, and state Supreme Court races. And at least at the national level, Republicans are outgunning and outspending Democrats in those races. Turning over Roe is also likely to fuel state legislatures to combine new abortion bans 
with efforts to manipulate their court systems in their favor. How did they do that? Through partisan interference with state courts, impeachment threats against judges who stand in their way. There we go. We're going to politicize it. It'll be politicized instead of at one spot in D.C. in every one of the 50 states. Already this year, state courts have played a crucial role in upholding abortion bans. In March, the Texas Supreme Court shut off all possible routes for plaintiffs in state court to challenge a strict heartbeat abortion ban. It's one of two in effect in the U.S. that effectively bans the procedure after around six weeks of pregnancy. Texas's bill enacted last fall outsources the enforcement of the ban. This is the first time I've seen this happen. Now, in Texas, the enforcement of the ban, it's up to private citizens in a novel legal structure that Oklahoma has since replicated with a bill that went into effect the day after the draft opinion leaked. 23 states have laws on their books that will restrict abortion in a post-Roe world. That's according to the Guttmacher Institute. They include trigger laws that will ban abortion as soon as Roe is overturned, pre-Roe abortion bans that are currently unenforceable but could be put back into effect, and post-Roe abortion bans that are currently blocked by the courts and amendments establishing no right to abortion under state constitutions. Other states, like Florida, have abortion restrictions set to go into effect later this summer, which are likely to be challenged in state courts, too. The end of Roe may not save Democrats in Congress, but it could make waves in these state judicial races. Democrat strategists are hoping the Supreme Court gutting Roe will be a motivating factor and boosting voter turnout in the midterms. But one issue, that issue alone, isn't guaranteed to save the party's chances of holding control of Congress. For starters, Democrats are already showing they have limited options to bolster abortion rights at the federal level, and President Biden's unpopularity, as well as voters' dissatisfaction with the economy, are also anchors weighing the party down with just six months to go before we go pull the levers, right? All of those caveats aside, Democrats are anticipating GOP-led state legislatures passing draconian abortion bans in a post-Roe world could turn elections for state-level officials like governors, attorneys general, local prosecutors, and state judges into even more red-hot political battlegrounds. The stakes are already apparent in two key presidential battleground states where Republicans control both branches of the state legislatures. That's Ohio and North Carolina. In both states, partisan control of their state Supreme Courts is up for grab in November. North Carolina now has two Democratic-controlled state Supreme seats up for election. And in Ohio which has a six-week abortion ban currently blocked in federal court, three state Supreme Court seats, including the position of Chief Justice, are on the ballot. I don't think Republicans understand how unpopular that's going to be among women voters, independents, Republican women in the suburbs. That's a Democrat campaign strategist in Ohio 
saying the possibility of Roe being overturned, they're not going to take that, these women. But Republicans could just as easily be mobilized to return or flip control of key courts that are controlled by Democrats like North Carolina or have upheld abortion rights under state constitutions like Kansas. We're going to see any choice groups focusing on these courts that have protected abortion rights at the state level because that is the last barrier barrier to criminalizing abortion. That's Billy Corr, a writer and author of Usurpers, How Votes Stopped the GOP Takeover of North Carolina's Courts. Abortion could especially motivate conservatives, conservatives that want to oust Supreme Court justices in order to reshape the court, reshape the court in Kansas, the site of an ongoing tug-of-war between anti-abortion groups and the Kansas Supreme Court. This coming August, voters will decide whether to pass a constitutional amendment establishing no right to abortion in the state constitution that's in Kansas, reversing a 2019 ruling from the state Supreme Court that found a right to abortion in the Kansas Bill of Rights. Then, six of the court's seven appointed justices are going to face a likely campaign to block them from another term on the bench in November. Davis Hammett, a Kansas-based activist with the progressive youth voter engagement group Loud Light, predicted that anti-abortion groups will follow the push to pass the amendment with a campaign to kick the justices off the bench. Organizations, including Kansas for Life, tried to do so in 2016, failed miserably. Democrats could seize on abortion policy being pushed to the states by directing more of their resources and their political capital towards increasingly consequential state-level elections, races where Republicans have dominated for decades. Gabby Goldstein, the co-founder of Sister District, a group that supports progressives running for state legislatures, told Insider that many progressives view state power as inferior to federal power. I think that's a terrible mistake, she said. In recent years, Democrats have begun to recognize the cost of the decades-long underinvestment in state-level races. In the wake of Trump's win in 2016, progressive-formed groups like Sister District swing left and run for something to make up the deficit by recruiting and supporting progressive candidates for state legislative seats and local offices. But the decades-long mismatch in investment at the state level, among other things, resulted in Republicans locking up their gains in state legislatures in 2020, even as Democrats won back control of the White House. Goldstein said the anemic infrastructure when it comes to state court races on the left is due to Democrats as a whole lacking the same expansive and positive view of state power that conservatives hold. We're in a big hole, and we got to get out of this hole right away, she said. The Republican State Leadership Committee, for example, has spent about $20 million influencing state Supreme Court races over the past decade. That contributes to a significant imbalance in spending from liberals and conservative sources. Democrats have steadily closed the gap in state Supreme Court races, mainly 
with campaign spending by PACs and nonprofits at the state level, but they lack any kind of national organized equivalent. Their counterpart, the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, is starting to invest money in state Supreme Court races, but has historically focused mainly on state legislatures. And while the National Democratic Redistricting Committee has spent some money trying to influence state Supreme Court races, the scope of their spending represents just a fraction of the Republican group's investments. It's not what a lot of organizations are billed for, Goldstein said of state court races. It's a gap in the infrastructure that we all collectively need to address. But 2022, Goldstein argued, poses a potentially once-in-a-generation opportunity for progressives to construct a positive narrative that centers state actors like judges as forces for good. We need to redistribute the energy from almost entirely federal strategies to include robust programs at the state level, she said. For all those hoping a Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade will forever resolve the disputes of the pro-choice, pro-life people around the world, you're going to be certainly disappointed no matter what the outcome. Neither of the two outcomes will satisfy a majority of Americans. And all the angst, it's going to continue. Besides the tragedy of not knowing for certain when life begins, and therefore forever clouding the possibility of making these decisions solely on factual medical information. Just thinking that maybe, just maybe, these babies or fetuses just might know they're being killed when they're being killed? I don't have a uterus. I fathered three children. I cannot imagine my life with any of these three without them. I cannot imagine my life knowing that I had determined any of my three should have been aborted. Oh well, whatever the outcome, we've watched as the left has found one more way to sensationalize a personal choice that is polarizing the nation one more time. Reminds me, Whatever happened to Joe Biden's promises to be a president of unity? I don't want to be the president of the Republicans. I don't want to be the president of the Democrats. I want to be president for all Americans. I hadn't heard any unity talk. I'm going to say that again. I've not heard any unity talk since before he was inaugurated till today. Not a peep from Joe Biden. I don't know that it would change anything. I don't trust him. You don't either. Most people don't. Wait a minute, Dan. Well, in the most conservative poll that came out, when I say conservative, that's positive in his favor, the most conservative one for his approval slipped down below 40% yesterday. 39%. There are polls out there that have his approval rating even lower than that. I don't know what he thinks. I don't know why he thinks what he thinks. But what I see playing out in his life publicly every day 
He's toast in many, many ways. I don't see how he comes out on top of this entire thing. And way back in the back of my mind, I hearken back to these thoughts that I had at the end of the Obama administration and somewhere in the early stages of the Trump administration, an interview with Barack Obama. And he was asked in this interview if he ever thought about what it would be like if he had been able to run and win a third term as president. And Obama, he waited for a second before he answered. But he very pensively kind of put his hand underneath his chin and said, you know, I don't, I don't think I'd want to be president again, but if, if we could build a scenario where we had somebody out there as the public face and I was just working behind the scenes doing all the heavy lifting and this person was just a spokesman, that might work. And I'm paraphrasing his terms, but that's exactly what his inference was. I think, I don't know, but I think right now, today, that concept, that's the concept in which we're living. I believe somebody is playing the Wizard of Oz behind the stage at the White House. And it could be Obama. It could be three or four or five or six other people. I don't know. But you cannot convince me. Don't even try that Joe Biden is digging up all of these policies, writing them, pinning them, and implementing them on his own. If for no other reason. And there are a lot of other reasons. Like, I don't think he has a great mind of reason. I don't. I've watched during his political career when he has made some of the stupidest decisions and choices that he didn't have to make that make him look like an imbecile. All that being said, I think if Barack Obama's not the Wizard of Oz calling all the shots, I think he may he may be on that uh, that ten to four in the afternoon shift <laughs> of being in charge. Just saying. And now back to John with the weather. Yes, Andy. Tonight a big storm. Storm this! Get the soccer offer from Pizza Hut and Pepsi. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Yes, a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Don't miss the Pizza Hut and Pepsi soccer offer. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. What about the weather, Andy? Don't resist and call 19,000 now. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more, and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. 
Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing. <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. No identity politics, no political elitism. Read and hear the truth, always sourced from facts. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. You know, what's interesting is there, there, before we move away from the conversation about abortions, you know, there are, there are a lot of people out there in really powerful positions that I got to be honest with you, they're just telling outright lies. I'm talking about senior members of the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. People up there, get, they just make themselves look like they're stupid. You know who Senator Chris Murphy is. He's from Connecticut. On Sunday, he claimed that the leaked Supreme Court decision means women and doctors are going to be sent to jail immediately when this opinion becomes a reality. That's a direct quote. I'll say it again. Women and doctors are going to be sent to jail immediately when this opinion becomes a reality. Now, saddest of all, he's wrong, he lied, but worse, he's an attorney, and he failed to explain that prior to Roe, when abortions were illegal in nearly every state, women weren't being rounded up in jails for having abortions. Who would even lobby for a law that did that? Now, abortionists might get jail time, as legal abortionist Kermit Gosnell did in Pennsylvania. We've carried his story here. He was the consummate abortionist. He would actually deliver babies in his, in his clinic alive and would use scissors to clip their spinal cords to kill them. Women were not prosecuted, were not sent to jail, even for self-abortion. As Villanova University law professor Joseph Delapina said, in the 19th and 20th centuries, courts rationalized their view of women as victims of abortion. And they did that by declaring that a woman was not deemed able to assent to an unlawful act against herself. That attitude was reinforced by the reality that generally no conviction of the abortionist could be obtained without the testimony of the woman who had the abortion. Delapina also pointed out states like New York enacted immunity statutes to protect women from prosecution if they would testify against the abortionist. So the lie that reversing Roe will put women in jail for abortions is just that. It's a lie. You want another one? Women will be prosecuted for self-abortion if Roe is reversed. Attorney Paul Linton performed some very exhaustive case review background work on the actual practice of prosecuting abortionists in the U.S. for all time. He couldn't find even a single reported case from any state prior to 1972, Roe v. Wade, in which a woman was prosecuted, convicted, and sentenced 
for inducing her own abortion or for consenting to an abortion performed upon her by a third party. There were only two reported abortion cases that he could find in which a woman was even charged for having had an abortion. In Pennsylvania, one woman took a drug to produce abortion, but the trial judge refused to enter the jury's guilty finding because, quote, the statute was not intended to apply to the woman. And the order was affirmed on appeal. A Texas case from 1922 notes that a woman was indicted, but there was no record the woman was ever tried or convicted and sentenced. A third lie. Women will be prosecuted for miscarriage. Abortion advocates also claim that women who miscarry could be criminally prosecuted. Can you believe they're making this crap up and that there are people out there that believe it? Pregnancy loss before 20 weeks gestation can result from non-controlled diabetes, infections, hormone conditions, uterine or cervix problems, or even thyroid disease. These have nothing to do with intentional induced abortion. Miscarriage occurs in 26% of all pregnancies and up to 10% of clinically recognized pregnancies. Paul Wohlers noted in a story in the Washington Post back in 1981 that the term miscarriage in some older state statutes referred to induced abortion. But after a thorough search of state abortion prosecutions from the mid-1800s, he decided that in no case was a spontaneous miscarriage made the object of criminal investigation or prosecution. That's another lie. That's the third one. Number four, reversing Roe will criminalize pill and IUD use. Now listen to this. Forbes magazine. Not your average everyday rag, right? Last week, Forbes suggested that reversing Roe will lead to birth control pills being outlawed because, quote, defining the life of an unborn child as starting at fertilization or conception would affect common birth control methods. But users of IUDs or the pill were never prosecuted under the criminal abortion laws that were in place prior to Roe. So why would they be prosecuted if Roe is reversed? Most of the abortion laws prior to Roe define the unborn child's life as beginning at fertilization or conception. Harriet Pilpel, Planned Parenthood's lawyer, filed an amicus brief in 1971. In it, she noted that state criminal abortion laws had not made any effort to outlaw the use of the intrauterine device, which may in fact function to prevent implantation after fertilization has occurred. Pilpel's testimony before Congress in 76 explained one practical reason why women had not been prosecuted for using drugs or using devices that prevented pregnancy after fertilization. Since it is not possible scientifically to determine either when fertilization or implantation occurs, it would be impossible in cases of early pregnancies to know when and whether it was being violated. And the fifth one, the unborn have never been recognized in the law as persons. 
This lie, and it is a lie, comes from Justice Henry Blackman in the Roe v. Wade decision itself. But if you read the fine print, footnote number 34 of Roe, Justice Harry Blackman cited Eugene Quay's article, Justifiable Abortion Medical and Legal Foundations, which excerpted laws from 19 states in Washington, D.C., all of which classified abortion as manslaughter or second-degree murder or had similar penalties for such. Quay also included excerpts from 24 state laws prohibiting abortion, all of which used the words child or children, which can only mean a living human being, a person. By the way, Justice Alito cited Eugene Quay's same article on page 23 of his draft brief of the uh, Roe v. Wade, which has started all this controversy. At the time Roe was decided in 73, all states had either restricted or prohibited abortion. 43 states in the District of Columbia banned abortion because the child was fully human. Even radically pro-abortion President Joe Biden couldn't help admitting the subject of an abortion is indeed a child. More than 63 million children have had their lives legally taken by abortion since 1973 under Roe. Isn't it past time that the Supreme Court, which by the way, these Crazy Democrats that are standing up and screaming, they're not even recognizing precedents. That's what Supreme Court cases are based on, the way previous laws had been established, and they're obliterating that. Did you know in at least 232 cases since 1808, they have reversed themselves? 232 times. That's according to the Library of Congress. And have at least let citizens have a say in whether this dreadful practice deserves to stand. That's the only thing that is coming out of Roe v. Wade being overturned, if that's what's going to happen. It puts the decisions about abortion back in the laps of the people's elected representatives to decide for each individual state. Hmm. Hadn't thought about that too much, have we? And of course the lies and the, in the very first one, the one that I, where I mentioned Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, reversing Roe will put women in jail for abortions. Chris Murphy, he is not the sharpest tool in the, in the shed. I've I've watched him just tie himself in knots, just getting up at a microphone and speaking. And he's from Connecticut. They're supposed to be cool and have everything together if they're from Connecticut. I don't think he does. I really don't. I think maybe his cheese slipped off his toast. <sighs> My gosh, what is this world coming to? There's other stuff. We're we're needing to get away from this abortion conversation and get into some other stuff because there's plenty of other stuff going on. You know, this mess down at the southern border. I struggle every day. Listen, I wish one day some of you could just walk in my shoes and watch how we prepare this, this program. 
where all the information comes from, how we get it, what we have to go through to get a bunch of it. I get, I don't know how many, dozens and dozens of phone calls a day, mostly from very reputable people that are bringing me information or pointing things out or asking questions. Many of those are people in our state and federal government that I've developed relationships with. I get information from there. I read a lot. Probably four different times during a 24-hour period, excluding the two hours for this show. I'm scanning the news sites here and in Europe and Asia and in Australia, finding information. And the reason I'm having to do that, the reason any real journalist will do that is because you can't just take for granted that something you read, some video you see, the narrative surrounding it is factual. I can't tell you the number of stories that we have brought you through the years at truthnewsnet.org and in the last two years here at TNN Live. How many stories you have heard have come from someplace other than the mainstream news? I would say, and it's increasing in percentages, the further we go along, the more I'm finding different spots. We call them honey holes. If you're from the south and you fish, you know what a honey hole is. That's where you've got those bass or those white perch. Or if you're from south Louisiana, you know what you know what we call white perch down in south Louisiana? Sockelet. You, you have no, unless you're Louisiana French, you have no idea what that is. But sockelet means bag of milk. And a big old white perch, they look like a bag of milk. And boy, that's some good fish. But every, at least in the South, every fisherman, fisherwoman, they know what a honey hole is. And that's where you know the fish are hiding. So when you take your buddy to go with you, you won't take them to your honey hole. You don't want them to find out about it because they'll come back. But when you are out there by yourself or you're fishing with somebody you know, hey, 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 let's check out the honey hole. My honey hole, I've got about, I've got two in Australia and New Zealand. That's why you hear us play um, Sky News sound bites fairly regularly. And I do that because those people are so much like us, especially in Australia, besides the language. And I love an Aussie um, jargon. I love the way they talk. I'm really not uh, not into the British, the true British, um, the way they speak. But I love the way the Aussies talk. But that's just one spot we go to to get in news and information that is credible that we're not getting other places. I have half a dozen of those. But it takes time. It takes work. But it's worth it. It's worth it for me. I've got three children, six grandchildren. Marianne and I are in our late 60s. We've lived a rich life, but we we want to have rich life further in front of us. And we want For all of those we love, all of our friends, we have a very wide circle of influence, church, extended family, uh, just being in this part of the world, in this particular place, 
all these years, you just develop circles of influence, people that influence you, people you know. You, you, may, not, you may not have a great close relations with them, but you know people. And you develop a lifestyle. Most of us develop our lifestyles by choice. And that includes the people where we live, the people around us. When I say where we live, I'm not just talking about zip code. I'm talking about the neighborhood that you live in. If you live in a neighborhood, or maybe you want to live out in in the middle of nowhere. I get that. Every once in a while, I go there in my mind and wish I was there somewhere where nobody else was around for a while. All that being said, that's one reason why. I, through the years, developed a relationship with getting on the back of a Harley-Davidson and taking off. I'm one of those guys, I ride every day, every single day. If it's not raining, I ride one of my Harleys. Every morning, I go to a 6 a.m. Central Time prayer meeting for 30 minutes, and I go on my hog. And I have been known to jump on that and go to Chicago, go to Montreal, go to Los Angeles, go to Savannah, Georgia, or Key West. I'm serious. I'm not one of those guys that loves to, you know, hop on a hog that's sparkling clean. I keep mine clean. But if you ride a lot, you know it doesn't stay clean. It gets dirty. But I love to get on it and go. Easter Sunday, I don't remember what year, back in the 2000s, that decade, Me and two friends left Easter Sunday afternoon from Shreveport, Louisiana, and we rode east to Savannah, Georgia. When we got to Savannah, we took pictures of each other standing barefooted in the water of the Atlantic Ocean in Savannah. Had a great meal that night. Next morning, got up, and we turned around headed back going west. And we went west. We really went west. We rode from Savannah, Georgia to San Francisco. And then we went east and came home. 7,300 miles. I saw, I, I had been in business for years. I had clients all over the nation. I'd been in New York City. I'd been to Canada. I'd been to Seattle. I'd been to Southern California in the mountains of of. Colorado and had been to Sturgis, South Dakota, all of the Key West, all of those. I'd been there, but typically the way I went was I hopped on a plane and flew. When you drive, when you're at ground level, going across this amazing nation of ours, everything looks different. Your perspective totally changes. You meet people along the way. You see uh, businesses, you see homes. You see the lifestyles of people from different ethnicities, nations of origin, different parts of the country. And I got to tell you, I come away from each of those trips, and I've probably done 50 of those through the years. I still have the first two Harleys I ever had. And between the two, I've got a quarter of a million miles on the back of them riding, and that's not going in the morning to Starbucks to have a coffee and then going home. (laughs) It's being on the road. I've got an earring. I know a 68-year-old guy, Christian guy, you're not supposed to have an earring. I got an earring in my left ear. It's in the perfect ear, right? 
I got it at a street festival in Montreal, Canada. Listen, folks, you got to find what's best for you. That means in your relationships, every kind, spouse, who you work for, where you work, who your friends are, where you go to church, who you interact with on a daily basis and who you don't interact with. We all have to find those. And let me tell you this, you've got to have a starting point. And many, many, many people are all over the spectrum of places to choose their starting point. And you can choose your own place. You can call it whatever you want to call it. You can call it your utopia. But find a place that you're comfortable with and you can always begin there. And if you're older than 30 years old, you know exactly what I mean. The older we get, the more prone to look back over our shoulders and wish this and wish that. I had to stop doing that in the 50s. You know why? Because I can't change the past. I can change the present, which will automatically impact the future. But the older I got, the less I began to concentrate so much on me. Me, 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 me and turn away from and reject meism, which is the prism by which people that are caught up in, they determine every part of their lives, every person in their lives, they determine everything based upon a prism of meism. They see everything looking through that and no place else. We're all prone to do that from time to time, but we have to reject that. If we're going to be happy, it's a choice we make to be happy. That choice comes with a whole bunch of little bitty intricate choices that are part of it. We have to be consistent, we have to be thorough, and we have to be honest. You just got that sociology, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, you got that absolutely for free. But you know what? I don't take any of you that listen to the show, I don't take you for granted. We don't do that here. We do a lot. We're investing a lot in you. We really are. And bringing you the information that we do, we consider it, it's a task, but it's one that we enjoy because we're spreading truth. And I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, truth hurts. Sometimes it does. But what hurts worse is when we live for a long time believing something that we have just swallowed that someone told us years ago And we've made life-changing decisions based upon that fact, that truth that we swallowed. And one day we wake up and we find out it was a lie. I don't wish that on anyone. I don't wish it on anybody that listens to this show. You know, our, our show goes, it's live two hours, 9 to 11, Monday through Friday, that's central time. And then... Apple Podcasts picks it up, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Google, Stitcher, Facebook, and now Donald Trump's, what is it, Truth, 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 what is it, his social media site, let me look real quick, I hadn't been in it that long, Truth Social, 
our podcasts go there. They all go around. Every You've got a chance. A lot of people have a chance. And we have people subscribing. And again, we don't sell anything, but they get links in the hundreds and thousands. Why is that? People are hungry. People are seeking facts. And we're just blessed and very thankful that we're a part of that. And more so that you are. ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go! And big crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me the money! To win it all. The big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Sweep. On your carts, get set, yeah. And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire! It all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Hey, it's Garrett. The Poland Spring brand wants to provide more than 100% natural spring water, and they want to make a difference. That's why they're rescuing millions of pounds of plastic and transforming them into new bottles that are 100% recycled. You can join them by pledging to recycle your bottle, and for each pledge, Poland Spring will donate safe, clean drinking water to local communities in need. Go to PolandSpring.com forward slash pledge to find out more. Select sizes only 20 up, 700 milliliter, 1 liter, and 1.5 liter size bottles. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now. Or later, because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing Everyday Price Cuts. Thank you. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Go somewhere else. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. Well, well, well. I know this will probably shock everybody, but there is uproar going on at our southern border. (laughs) I'm laughing because if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Guess what happened overnight? Border officials found a fully operational drug tunnel that connects Tijuana to San Diego. Yesterday, authorities announced the discovery of this massive tunnel that stretches under the border that was likely used to transport drugs and do so undetected. It's 1,700 feet long, fully operational. It runs from Tijuana to an industrial warehouse in San Diego. Authorities said it contains a very sophisticated structural system that was likely used to smuggle heroin, meth, and fentanyl. It's estimated to be about 1,744 feet long, 61 feet deep, 
a diameter of about four feet at its widest point. That's Randy Grossman, U.S. Attorney to the Southern District of California. The walls are reinforced. It has a rail system and electricity for ventilation. Authorities didn't say how long the tunnel had been operating, but the amounts $25 million worth of drugs were seized from the tunnel over the weekend. The drugs included uh, 1,700 pounds of cocaine, 160 pounds of meth, three and a half pounds of heroin. Six Southern California residents were arrested and charged with conspiring to distribute cocaine, officials said. That warehouse, by the way, is near the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Ote Mesa port of entry, but U.S. authorities have not commented further on the tunnel's discovery. Go figure. Go figure. Don't tell me. Don't even intimate that everything happening at our southern border is just so these poor, downtrodden immigrants have a place to go and find a good life. That's all it's about down there. A billion dollars a week. One billion with a B dollars a week. Or what the cartels in Mexico and Central America are making putting the plans together and facilitating everything that's coming across our southern border. And let me tell you what, last night I happened to catch a conversation that was being had in uh, the U.S. Congress and Representative Chip Roy, a Republican from Texas, he's been right out, way out in front of all of the uproar over the southern border, especially how it's impacting his state. And he went postal against Democrats in this hearing. The only performance is this entire charade put on by Democrats in this committee that they give a wit about what's actually happening at the border of the United States. That they give a wit about migrants. You want to see where the while hell in we the, are? While in the false name of compassion. What? The order? Can we have order in the committee, Mr. Chairman? For the goodness gracious. Should mute, someone should mute their microphone. People take their pajamas off and get the frig back in their job. He's talking about Representative Roy. As you heard that, it was kind of muffling. It was, take a point of border. It was from a member of the House that is in her pajamas at home during this committee hearing, and she's online. And Chip Roy is just one of the people up there that are, they've just had enough of this. Nancy Pelosi built this whole structure so that none of them have to physically go to work. They can work through a Zoom conference call and in a committee so i'm gonna i'm gonna back it up just a little bit so that you can hear her say what she said and hear representative roy respond listen closely chairman for goodness gracious someone should mute their microphone people take their pajamas off and get the frig back in their job i mean good grief i mean seriously i mean i took a little aside here this is absurd i mean you know COVID, and here we are, we've got people hanging out at home, like talking to half their conversation, turning their TV on. It's an absolute abomination. This is the way we're operating a committee. It's shameful. It's almost as shameful as the absurdity that I just heard about performance, right? It's a performance, right? I'm well aware because I've seen the scoffing. I've seen the eye rolling by my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. I sat here and watched the Secretary of Homeland Security look straight at us and lie that we have operational control of the border when we have no such thing. And this entire bill, this entire piece of legislation is 
designed to, quote, solve a problem which is created by the very people advancing it. Having judges on the back end processing the very claims that they're encouraging in violation of our law, both the spirit and the letter, in violation of the law to detain individuals while they're supposed to be dealt with, in direct contradiction of the entire premise of having operational control of the border. And meanwhile, migrants die. Just now, a video that was posted just a little bit ago of a parent going across the Rio Grande, almost going under, almost drowning, with a literally weeks-old newborn above the water. This is compassion. The mobile morgues, the body trailers in South Texas, that's, that's compassion. And the solution being offered are more judges or changing the judicial structure in order to, in the words of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have been talking about it, streamline and improve the processing. But in fact, what you're doing is blatantly encouraging more people to come in violation of our laws that say secure the border and where there is an exception for consideration of a legitimate asylum claim with credible fear, make a determination. My colleagues prefer to flood the zone purposely, knowing that the vast majority of the claimants do not have credible fear, overwhelm the system, and then come up with a fraudulent patch to the system by saying, let's just move judges to another location. Let's call them something else. And then let's pat ourselves on the back for processing more individuals. While they all end up getting abused by cartels for profit, and my colleagues on their side of the aisle sit there and say, oh, we're the ones engaging in performance. The entire Democratic Party is one great big performance, a performance based on race baiting and lies. That's what the Democratic Party is reduced to. We saw it all day this afternoon with this bogus attack on Clarence Thomas, this bogus attack right now on our very system of justice and having a border that's secure and an immigration system that works by now trying to punt to some sort of absurd structural change in our courts. But we'll do nothing as the secretary sat here and smirked at us, smirked at this body, claiming operational control when there's no such thing. And to listen to my colleagues say, oh, yeah, no, there was no impact by the previous administration's policies. It's absolutely blatantly absurd. The numbers were a fraction of what they are now because we were actually enforcing the law. The law as written, the law as anybody with a first grade education can be able to see, requires that we detain, requires that we have operational control of the border. Instead of having border patrol agents amount to nothing more than processing agents and babysitters at a handful of parts while dangerous individuals, including 42 people on terrorist watch lists, come into the United States and almost 500 gang members, 700,000 gotaways. Performance, the entire Democratic Party is a performance. And it's a shame. We've had Democrats stand up for secure borders in the past, and now they walk away. Time of the gentleman is expired. I love what Representative Roy has to say there. I mean, it's factual. The guy knows what he's talking about. He's looking at it happen in his own state, Texas, 
at the southern border. But there are a lot of obvious things that come up when we hear stuff like this. And let me tell you the one that gets me roiled the most. Our members of Congress, both the House and the Senate, they pass bills all the time. They approve things that have absolutely no common sense. I uh, I get a, I'm on a mailing list. Every piece of legislation that passes the House or is even proposed to the House, I get a link to it. Every day, every week, however often they get together and do something like that. It is shocking to read these bills that are proposed and even many are passed and eventually signed into law by the president, how meaningless they are. There are tens of thousands of such bills that are passed by our legislature. And what Chip Roy was talking about was going on in this committee, they're finding ways to impact the level of immigration at our southern border, not to stop it, but to streamline the courts, the border courts that hear these asylum cases to let those immigrants get released legally into the country quicker than they're being released now. That's what that conversation was all about. Let me just tell you this. Here's where I am on this. I will never vote ever again for anybody that will not tell me I will enforce the laws and see to it that anybody that I have power over in the body I'm elected to go into to make sure that those people who are supposed to be enforcing the laws that Congress passes and a president signs, I'm not going to do anything outside of the law, period. I'll consider voting for that person. Why is that? What's the big deal? How in the heck can we reconcile, any American reconcile, letting anybody that works for us, that we pay, that we give them a great lifestyle that they choose and want to get into, and they very seldom, once they get into it, want to get out, right? So it must be pretty darn good. How could it be okay with us for them to just continue to wink at laws that have been passed? It's like a a merry-go-round, one that's going really fast, and once you get on it, you can't get off, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes, and nothing comes of it. Donald Trump showed us, told us, and then showed us what could be done to secure our southern border. And what did he use to do it? The law. He actually, he didn't change anything. He actually, novel idea, he told people that work for him in the Customs and Border Patrol and Homeland Security and ICE, he told them all, enforce the laws. Enforce the laws. Well, you hear Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, you hear a bunch of Democrats, but you hear a bunch of Republicans too. They whine. They whine. The laws are broken. The immigration laws are broken. We can't voice those on the American people and on these poor immigrants. Listen, guys and girls, gals, or whatever is the politically correct way to address anybody. I don't use pronouns. I'm not going down that road. 
If you're biologically appear to be a he, I'm going to refer to you as he. Same thing if you're a biological woman, I'm going to, as best as I know it, refer to you respectfully as she. But all of these he's and she's that work for us, they need to enforce the dadgum laws. If the laws are bad, your cohorts and some of you even were part of passing those laws. Go back and amend the laws that you passed. If they're not in total wrong, amend them, make them right. And if they're wrong, take them off the books and put another bill together, convince a sufficient majority in the house you sit in to support that revision bill that you put on the floor and pass it in the house, pass it in the Senate and get it signed into law. Well, we can't get the other side to agree to it. That's called, that's called representative republic in which we live. It's not supposed to be just about numbers in the House and the Senate and which party those people identify with. It's supposed to be representative, not of you, but of the people, all of us. And if you are there, you're elected. I I voted for you and elected you, and you're there representing me, and you can't convince someone that sits across from you to agree with you sufficient to either amend a a bill, reverse a bad bill, you can't convince them to vote for a new bill, then guess what? They're representing people, you're representing people, and if you can't convince each other, you're going to be at a stalemate, but that's the way democracy works, period. And if we don't like that, I've got, I've got something for you. Go find a better place to live and go there, please, and do it soon. Well, there's some interesting climate change information that is out overnight. And it's, it's coming out through a government agency. A brand new study suggests successful efforts primarily here in North America but in Europe to reduce air pollution, clean the air up. I mean, that's a great thing. We've done it here in large part. The United States, uh, the air in the United States is better than it ever has been. It's cleaner than it ever has been, despite what the climate activists want to tell us. Air pollution is way better. But there's an unintended consequence of all the work we've done. More hurricanes. Oh my gosh, the surprising result was found by the National Oceanic and Atmosphere Administration, NOAA, in a paper published in the journal Science Advances. The writer, this doctor, physicist, said he studied hurricane trends in the northern hemisphere over the past 40 years, found a connection between the number of hurricanes and the amount of air pollution in the form of tiny particles called aerosols. Almost 90% of aerosols released into the air have natural origins like volcanoes, forest fires, while the remaining 10% come from human activities like manufacturing cement and burning coal. This NOAA study examines data from two periods, 1980 to 2000, 2001 to 2020, 
during which North America and Europe significantly cut their output of human-caused aerosols. According to the study, and I'm just going to jump right to it, 50% decrease in human-caused aerosol pollution from 1980 to 2020 has contributed to a 33% increase in storm formations in the Atlantic Ocean. The idea is that when there are fewer polluting particles to reflect the sun's energy back into space, water will get warmer and will fuel hurricanes. Without significant amounts of particulate pollution to reflect sunlight, the ocean absorbs more heat and warms faster. A warming Atlantic Ocean has been a key ingredient to a 33% increase in the number of tropical cyclones during this 40-year period. The scientist also found that as Asian air became dirtier, the area also experienced fewer typhoons. That's what they call a hurricane in Asia. In this case, a 40% increase in the concentration of particulate air pollution has been one of several factors that has contributed to a 14% decrease. This study indicates that decreasing air pollution leads to an increased risk of tropical cyclones, which is happening in the North Atlantic and could also happen if air pollution is rapidly reduced in Asia. The ironic result suggests the necessity of careful policy decision-making in the future that considers the pros and cons of the multiple impacts. So, you want clean air? Hey, hey, hey! (laughs) Yeah, let's get clean air, but let's also uh, figure out a way to beat up some hurricanes, the new ones, the extra ones that we're going to get because our air is so clean. How ironic is that? Well, the insanity back here in the mainstream America, it just goes and goes and amps up, gets louder and louder. New York City Mayor Eric Adams, he's somewhat of an enigma, and that's not a racial term, not referencing his skin color. He's become something of an enigma in politics in a way, but in other ways not. He campaigned on a lot of things like law and order. We're going to shut down gangs. We're going to do away with gang violence. We're going to do this. We're going to do that in law enforcement because he comes from the police, the Manhattan police. He uh, hadn't been governing like he campaigned, and I'm being kind when I say it that way. He appears to have engaged in some extreme pandering to the pro-abortion cohort over the weekend while he was attending a pro-choice rally. In a related social media message, he described abortion as health care and a human right that radical extremists are trying to prohibit. Adams allegedly indicated at the Bands of Off Our Bodies rally that he favors abortion with no limits up to the day of birth. He said, I think women should have the right to choose with their bodies. Men should not have that right to choose how a woman should treat their body. Moreover, he said, he seems to be very interested in positioning himself as a woke celebrity. He declared on Twitter that we, which he described as a majority, will fight like hell to retain abortion rights. But according to a New York Post editorial, 
The fact is that most Americans are neither completely pro-life nor totally pro-choice, but a mixture of both. Mayor Eric Adams and Governor Kathy Hochul of New York have both said they favor making COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory for all public school children. That's from the New York Times from last week. Earlier this year, Adams, who apparently is an advocate of the My Body, My Choice philosophy, fired about, guess what, 1,400 unvaccinated city workers. So which is it, Mr. Mayor? Is it My Body, My Choice, or is it My Body, Your Choice? Hmm. He's 61 years old, a former NYPD captain and Brooklyn Borough president. He ran for the mayor's office in part on a law and order platform, was a lock to replace far-left Bill de Blasio after his first-place finish in the July 2021 Democrat primary. He easily defeated GOP standard-bearer Curtis Slewa, the Guardian Angels founder and radio personality, in November. Violent crime is still skyrocketing in the crime-ridden city. However, which suggests perhaps that Adams might be all talk or mostly all talk and no action when it comes to public safety. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who like Adams is from Brooklyn, ratcheted up some fear-mongering or gaslighting after the chamber failed to pass that far-reaching abortion law last Wednesday. Elect MAGA Republicans, if you want to see a nationwide ban on abortion, if you want to see doctors and women arrested, if you want to see no exceptions for rape or incest, that's Chuck Schumer, and he's still screaming that at the top of his lungs. The pro-life, pro-choice debate took on greater currency, prompted demonstrations in New York City and elsewhere, including outside the homes of conservative justice, after that leaked draft Supreme Court opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization out of Mississippi, authored by Justice Samuel Alito, that could strike down the landmark Roe v. Wade decision. Fox News polling recently says over half of Americans believe that abortion should be prohibited after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And the conversation goes on and on and on and on. What's our big scandal right now? It's not abortion. Abortion is nothing more than a political plank for Democrats to bend over and pick up and beat everybody on the head with. That's all it is. There's a real problem going on. And what is it? Baby food. Baby food. This one perplexes me for a lot of reasons. Um, Reasons being because it's one that we didn't have to be dealing with. Seriously, we didn't have to be dealing with this. You know, this president is quick to talk and slow to act. He doesn't think ahead. He doesn't make plans. He doesn't even talk about plans. Why is it? Because they make no plans. 
literally somebody in his administration, somebody that works in the White House with him, maybe next door, right down the hallway. I don't know who it is. But somebody every morning, very early, gets up, walks outside, licks their fingers, sticks it up in the air. And the way the White House is going to rule today is based upon which direction blows on his finger or her finger and which way and from where the wind is blowing on that today. We can sit here and name you instance after instance. Things that Joe Biden has done or has been done on his watch that's happened, whether it's him deciding or somebody else is immaterial. It's happening on his watch during his presidency. And this is just the latest thing, baby food, a shortage of baby food. Now, there's a bunch of lying going on. You know who Katie Pavlich is? She is a um, an editor of a news site in Washington. You see her fairly regularly on Fox News. She's young. She's from the generation behind me. She's the same age as my children. But she's very expressive, very knowledgeable. And she weighed in about this baby food thing. At her townhall.com. Katie, how you doing? Good morning to you. Go back to the baby formula issue. Republicans are saying they warned the White House in February. It's almost June. Yeah, I think there's a big government scandal uh, brewing here. There's reports that uh, FDA invest in inspections of this Abbott plant, which provides the country with upwards of 40% of the country's baby formula shut down inspections during COVID, uh, which of course delayed this inspection process till now. Uh, February was three months ago. Uh, the FDA is taking a very slow time in making sure that this plant gets back online when the, the company itself says that their baby formula is safe. And of course they have a stake in producing safe baby formula. The timeline here of how the White House was caught off guard is becoming very obvious. Jen Psaki yesterday said that they've been working on this for months. If that's the case, then they've completely failed to prevent this catastrophe, this crisis. But then the day before, the incoming press secretary said it was asked directly who was in charge of handling this crisis. And she literally laughed out loud and said she would find out who was in charge. So which one is it? There's also now this scandal brewing about pallet loads of baby formula going to border uh, facilities. Uh, of course, babies who are brought over the border to no fault of their own need to be fed. But while American families are scrounging and being told at the store that they can only buy a certain amount of baby formula for their children, I think there are big questions about how much product uh, uh, the federal government is buying, whether it's local stores in Texas or that they have some kind of contract uh, and, and, and storing it at these facilities while Americans can't find it in their stores at home. Uh, Katie, it's the year 2022, and parents are struggling to feed their babies. That is where we are right now. I'm going to channel Dana Perino and just ask the question, is there no one inside the White House who can get ahead of a, a, a crisis, a scandal, who can anticipate this, because even before the Abbott Labs plant was shut down in February, there were supply chain problems and shortage problems. Back then, they could have alleviated the trade barriers and imported formula. They could have alleviated the vast array of regulations on baby formula production here in the United States. 
Yeah, and yesterday the White House put out this fact sheet claiming that they're going to allow WIC to be used more often for baby formula. The states have already done that. Uh, they, it's not clear if they're uh, taking off regulations for importing baby formula because the FDA does have very high standards. And so we're in a crisis where the, the, the store shelves are bare, and yet the administration is now coming around to releasing a fact sheet about what they plan to do about it. Uh, the issue is that the FDA is taking too long to get this plant back up and running and the administration doesn't seem to be able to get their timeline straight when it comes to who was working on it, what the name of that person was and how they're going to manage this going into the future. And President Biden has talked repeatedly about invoking the Defense Production Act for the issue of the pandemic. Why is it that he's not talking about it uh, not just this week but previously to make sure that there wasn't a shortage in the first place given they knew that this plant went offline in February as a result of an FDA uh, inspection and them needing to shut it down to make sure that the formula was safe to uh, provide to the American people who need it. You know, babies have to eat multiple times a day. Uh, This is something that they should have seen coming and now they're trying to make up for it. And even now this plant is saying if they get back on board tomorrow, getting product to the shelves is gonna take at least two weeks. This debacle is nowhere being handled and being done away with. Credible news has come out. The uh, former CEO of Abbott, big baby food manufacturer, reported that in July, last July, they reached out to the White House and told the White House to expect this spring and summer a severe shortage of baby food. What and why? It came from the supply chain issues that... The Biden folks never said anything about, never did anything until after it just took over the nation. Remember this? Last summer. It was, oh my gosh, everything's closed because of COVID. And of course, then the White House comes out and says, oh, we knew about this even before Joe Biden became president. We were working on it in the ramp up to his inauguration. They never gave us evidence of a plan. They never talked to us about any conversations that were had. Every major debacle that we face in this administration, that's the way it's being handled. Now, I'm going to scare you a little bit before we go to our our break. I'm going to scare you a little bit and tell you this. Yesterday, two leaders of two very large food companies in the United States have said we and demonstrably said this, we are facing a severe food shortage just ahead this summer, this fall, in the United States. Have you heard anything from this administration in preparation, planning? No, you haven't. No details from these guys. I would think if that hits the news... Somebody in the White House would say, hey, maybe I need to call one of those guys or both of them and get them to give me the exact evidence so that we can start going to this president and begin to make some plans for the American people. Our kids, our babies are already dealing with it. When? When are the rest of us going to deal with it? And what's the White House going to do? Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. O'Reilly. We 
may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, buy two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. I'm Papa John, pizza maker. The quality of every ingredient is important to me. Like the sweet, juicy pineapple and pulled ham hock that refreshes a pizza classic. Introducing our new premium Hawaiian, another Papa John's original. Like all our pizzas, it comes with Papa's quality guarantee. Try something new with a third off your order. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. song title Cisco Kid was a friend of mine <laughs> hey lots of statistics around for us to listen to and get our brains around like this one this is a big surprise did you know over the weekend 33 people were shot five of them fatally in Chicago well that's almost like uh, checking what's going on in the stock market isn't it every every weekend how many people got shot? How many people died? The first fatal shooting occurred at 725 Friday evening. A 17-year-old boy shot dead while he was just standing on a sidewalk. The weekend's second fatal shooting took place about 1130 Friday night. A 40-year-old man was shot following a vehicle accident. A 34-year-old man in the 6500 block of South Ashland Avenue was shot numerous times Saturday afternoon transported to a hospital and pronounced dead. A 19-year-old man. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. But this is okay. This is normal. This is Chicago. And boy, when we have any other incident, not even to this scale, one weekend of Chicago, look what happened up in Buffalo. It was horrible. Horrible. So much so that Joe Biden went up there this morning to make everybody feel better. You know why? Only one reason why. This is a white supremacist who shot these people. And most of the people were African-American. Oh my gosh, news. I got to get up there. I got to prove to the world that I'm not a racist anymore. That's Joe Biden. So he runs up there. How many such shootings has Joe Biden got in Air Force One and gone to see the people, the victims, 
before this one. Not a single one. This one, his trip today, is about politics and nothing here. No substance to it. No substance whatsoever. So let me put in perspective what's going on in the election run-up to the midterms. Democrats are losing badly. They're losing badly. They just don't have the ability and anything substantive that they can use to reach out and get Americans sufficiently convinced that they are the party, what they represent and who they represent and who they are is what the nation needs for four more years, two more years, and then the general election in 2024. They don't have it. So what do they do? They start grasping for straws. You have the shooting there. You have the abortion. You have that leaked opinion of Justice Samuel Alito, the draft that went out. They need some lightning rods to try to get Democrats together. Let me tell you what, the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party leadership are really good at getting people together and on one, one, uh, one plane with each other when it comes election time. They're always really good about that. And they don't do it with positive stuff. They do it with nastiness. They do it with looking across the aisle at the other side and saying, you're murderous, you're evil, you're not worthy. We're not going to let you go to D.C. and represent us up there. We're not going to do it because you're not worthy. They have to divide to conquer. And that's what they're doing. If they were doing it otherwise... Listen to this, just one weekend, 33 people shot. Five of them died in Chicago. Joe Biden would be there. But he's a politician, he's not a leader. Leaders would be there. And even more importantly, leaders would take whatever measures are necessary to stop the every weekend debacle and shootings and killings in Chicago and any other city. Leaders don't let this go unresponded to. Joe Biden, he's never lifted a finger. Not one time. I've never heard him make a speech about it. Not one time. Joe Biden's not a leader. He is the president of the United States, but he is not a leader. So what are the big issues for you in the upcoming midterms? Nationally, University of Massachusetts Amherst, UMass, they put out a poll over the weekend. Overall, what was number one? Most important topic for people voting in the election. It's the economy, stupid. Remember that? Serpent head, James Carville, said that in uh, Bill Clinton's second term, the campaign running up to that term. They were talking about all kind of diversions and problems and uh, poor us, poor us. Carville, he just basically said it. The only thing that matters is the economy. Once again, the economy tops the list. 32% of all the people polled identified it as number one, the economy. Remains a top issue across party lines, too. A plurality of Democrats, that's 22%. Republicans, 45%. Independents, 37%. Chose it as number one. Across the board, 13% chose immigration as the most important. 12% abortion. 
10% health care, 10% climate change. No other issue got double-digit support among respondents. But Democrats, however, they chose climate change as the second most important issue, 20%, followed by abortion, 18%. Immigration came in second for Republicans, 25%, choosing it as the most important. Behind the economy, 14% of independents chose health care as the top issue, followed by immigration with 13%. The findings coincide with other polls showing the economy topping the list as the most important issue for voters and determining their vote as they head into the midterm election. So, let's just bring it down to ground level. We're at the polling level, right? We just gave you that. That's the 10,000-foot level. Let's go down to ground level. So let me ask you this. If across the board, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, if the economy is the most important thing in this upcoming election. Who the heck are you going to vote for? I would think. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a Democrat. Let me just preface that by saying I'm not a Republican either. I'm an independent. But if you think through it, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. Uh, You want to vote Democrats to run the government again? (laughs) I didn't vote for that last time. Many of you didn't either. Well, if you want change, my pastor friend in New Mexico, pastors the biggest church in New Mexico, said this to me and a few other men at a men's conference. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You want a different outcome, duh, change what you're doing. That results in the outcome you're wanting to change. If you don't do that, the outcome's not going to change. People that expect to re-elect Democrats or send new Democrats to the House or the Senate and even state houses around the nation in November and want different outcome, it's not going to happen. You're insane if you believe it's going to happen. Joe Biden doesn't know where he is today, yet alone where he's going to be tomorrow or what he's going to be doing tomorrow. And that whole mindset obviously filters downstream. Our economy is the worst it's been since the late 70s under Jimmy Carter. Inflation is worse since then. We have shortages of food. We have shortages of a lot of things that we rely on and wish we didn't didn't rely on them now, we can point back at COVID problems that happened overseas. Yeah, we can do that. That's it in part. But when you have issues, and when you have other issues coming your way, good leaders plan for those issues. The leader that we have today, the President of the United States, makes no plans in advance. He reacts and reacts only. And he never accepts responsibility for any of the problems that come our way being because of decisions he's made. It's always somebody else. It's Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping or, God forbid, the orange man and us ultra-maga Republicans, which I'm not a Republican. I guess I fall into the class of being ultra-MAGA, though, because I believe Donald Trump, I, I don't think Joe Biden could hold Donald Trump's 
jock when it comes to being successful at doing things and running anything, yet alone the federal government. And you know, the only reason I believe that is because I saw him do it. And I've seen Joe Biden who says what he's going to do, and he did it all, but it had nothing to do with making anything better for us. It had to do with setting up the Democrat Party policies to continue the takeover of this nation and making it into an authoritarian country ruled by a small group of elitists at the top. And there are dozens of countries in that same mode around the planet that are dying just like this one will if we don't get back to being government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Like Joe Biden, by the way, told us he was going to do. Elon Musk back in the news. He's been causing liberal heads to explode online since he announced his intention to purchase Twitter. And his recent response to Netflix, who, I don't know if you heard, they're cracking down on some of their woke employees who may be triggered by some of the streaming platform's content, is no exception. In a memo to employees that made clear Netflix has no intention of allowing itself to go broke from wokeness, employees of that streaming giant were told to take a walk if you can't deal with titles that Netflix is going to put out that offend their values. It was the first update to the company's position on corporate culture in five years. Not everyone will like or agree with everything on our service, this memo says. While every title is different, we approach them based on the same set of principles. We support the artistic expression of the creators we choose to work with. We program for a diversity of audiences and taste, and we let viewers decide what's appropriate for them versus having Netflix censor specific artists or voices. As employees, we support the principle that Netflix offers a diversity of stories, even if we find some titles counter to our own personal values. Depending on your role, you may need to work on titles you perceive to be harmful. If you'd find it hard to support our content breadth, Netflix may not be the best place for you to work. This is the latest move by Netflix to get back some of the 200,000 subscribers it lost in the first quarter of this year. A tumble that many believe was directly related to the overly progressive messaging in many of the shows it has carried, such as the controversial Cuties. The memo provided a quick and clear counter to those who walked off the job over a special from comedian Dave Chappelle who is perceived by those who don't watch Dave Chappelle's specials to be transphobic. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton tweeted a story about the memo, and Elon Musk responded, causing current and some would-be Twitter employees to freeze in their virtual tracks, if only for a moment. Musk said this. He tweeted this. He's a master of the one-liners. Quote, Good move by Netflix. Three words in a Twitter tag, (laughs) and nearly 100,000 likes later, the reaction to Musk's praise appears to be almost as divided as the whole nation is. Twitter employees, 
They're already in panic mode, stemming from Musk's ongoing hostile takeover of the platform in the name of free speech. For some, Musk's approval of Netflix's stance is just another example of how he is a literal fascist who changes his own employees to their desk, which he does not do. We are all watching a billionaire radicalize into the alt-right in real time, wrote one user's. Others expressed similar sentiments. D. Matthew Ramsey tweeted, Give your history of how you treat workers. No surprise there. Elon is saying free speech should not exist in the workplace. Weird how he cherry-picks where he approves of free speech while calling himself a free speech champion. Elon, how soon until American companies get to chain workers to their desks six days a week and make them sleep on the factory floor? One year? A decade? What's your time frame? I'm, I'm going to stop. Let me just tell you this. One reason why I despise Twitter, and I use it because I have to, and I use it only scantily, and the reason is people, people can pick up an iPhone, a telephone, and they can throw out insults with almost no responsibility and no accountability for what they do. You know what I call those people? I call them drive-by shooters. Those, by my definition, are people that have no accountability. There's no substance there, and so they'll just say anything right off the top of their head. They don't matter. doesn't matter to them what it is, who it's aimed at, how it impacts anybody. They just say it. Why? Because they feel like they want to. A lot of people are realizing from this that Netflix and Elon Musk are proving that companies will draw the line when being woke begins to impact their bottom line, a sign many are calling a step in the right direction. The ridiculous woke BS is over. That was a reply by the popular cat turd. Any company catering to their madness is going to go broke. Literally every single company needs to have this approach to doing business. Another Twitter or Twitter-er said, you're here to sell a product, not an agenda. Amen, exclaimed a third. Go woke, go broke. Let's hope that era is ending. Wow, 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 wow. So how far... Have you seen the far left go in the wake of the shootings that happened? You had the one in Buffalo. You had the one, oh man, we've had three of them. You had one in California. Where was the other one? I can't even think of it right now, but we had three over the last few days. Tom Elliott, at Wesley Lowry, Washington Post, Eugene Robinson. Remember those names. As faithful acolytes of the Democrat establishment, corporate media pundits and those that aspire to such low places, they have made their coordination abundantly clear this news cycle. How are they doing it? Slandering and libeling every prominent elected Republican and conservative voter as being complicit in the Buffalo shooting. Yesterday, associate editor for the Washington Post, Eugene Robinson, 
African-American guy. Just threw that out there. He joined MSNBC's Mornings Joe, and he joined Joe Scarborough to make this case for the backup that the 18-year-old suspect charged in the killing of at least 10 individuals, the backup he received from those seeking votes and television ratings. What's he talking about? In particular, Robinson called out Representative Elise Stefanik of New York, a Republican by name, while accusing her of taking the party, the Republican Party, to radical extremes. Here's his explanation. No one should call the person accused of this horrific and just unspeakable crime a lone gunman. He had backup. He had backup from the killer's who came before him, Robinson expressed, listing locations where other heinous shootings had occurred before echoing the new favorite narrative of the left. Quote, And he also had backup from those who were playing footsie with this replacement theory in order to win votes, in order to win television ratings, in order to grift the American public in a way that is just unconscionable. And then he zeroed in on his objective. And who are we talking about? Point the finger at those who are doing it. Point the finger at people like Elise Stefanik, who's in the Republican leadership, who used to be a kind of normal, small government, pro-business Republican, saw that was not the way to power, and then went completely MAGA wanted the party to burn Liz Cheney at the stake for being honest about what happened on January 6th. Had Stefanik, chair of the House Republican Conference, offered some sort of praise for the crimes of the suspect? No. Her initial response was exactly opposite to what Robinson would want everybody to believe. Still, you know, you don't ever when you've got a great political point to make and you've got a television camera and a microphone in front of you and nobody's there to call you out for doing it, you'll just say what makes you feel like it'll give you one leg ahead and help you get your point across. He plowed on ahead. Accusations went as far as to blame Stefanik and her supporters for crimes not yet committed. And now she's on Facebook. She's playing with great replacement theory, putting it out there in a way that is just unspeakable and unthinkable. But it's happening, and it's not just her. This is becoming part of the mainstream ideology of the Republican Party right now, and that is unacceptable. But it's happening, and when and how is it going to stop because this is going to continue? This is predictable. It's going to continue. There are going to be more of these. Oh, my gosh. We're all going to be shot and killed when we go to the grocery store and God help you if you're African-American because there are white supremacists roaming the streets of America looking for you, loaded and ready to take you out. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) You know who they never talked about? Our summer of love. Remember that? When Black Lives Matter and Antifa just tore this nation apart, tore up hundreds and hundreds of businesses, buildings, private and public buildings burned to the ground, ruined people's jobs, shot 
dozens of police officers, many people shot and killed. Most of that, most of that, most of that, did you get that? Most of that all happened at the hands of protest that turned into riots instigated in total or in part by Black Lives Matter and some other groups. Out on the northwest coast, it was Antifa. What about these people like this this guy, Eugene? Why wasn't he up there talking about any of that when it was going on? Blasting. People like Black Lives Matter for what they were doing. They supposedly were out there, you know, doing the cause, supporting black America, right? They got hundreds of millions of dollars in donations, principally from major corporations who Black Lives Matter blackmailed and said, you support us or we're going to come after you. We're going to picket your business. We're going to bring hundreds of African Americans there to tell the people in your in your cities and in your states how evil and racist you are. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Where did that go? How many minority black American young people got scholarships out of those hundreds of millions of dollars? Not one. Not one. Not one. What great causes did they support? Not one. They did charity work, and you know what charity work they did? They made donations from the donations they got to politicians who would always turn their eyes and look the other way and not encourage anybody in law enforcement to hold Black Lives Matter accountable. That's a wrap on the show today. My goodness. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here every day. You guys have a great Tuesday. Hump day tomorrow. Make sure you're going to be back at TNN Live, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time. Till then, know this. We love you. And we wish only the best for you. No one in the world ever had love as sweet as my love. For no Boy, as true as you love all my love, I give gladly to you all your love. You give gladly to me. Tell me why then? Why should it be that we go on hurting each other? Closer